0: All right, welcome back to From Arbitration. In today's episode, we're going to continue on with the T-Rap theme. Uh, I'll do that another couple of weeks, T-Rap. Uh, anything that comes up that I think is dealing with T-Rap, I'm going, to, I'm going to talk about it. Okay, I get messages and emails. I'm going to read some of those today. But uh, I'm going to discuss T-Rap. I mean, until we get it down pat, I'm just going to keep talking about it. Today I'm going to talk about management changing our start times. I know that that's an age-old thing, happens all the time, but it seems like it's happening more and more when I look on social media. And so I'm going to get one down as far as management changing our start times, and we'll start grieving that, okay? I don't want management to be comfortable doing anything to us on the workroom floor. I want them to know that we're going to grieve every single thing that they do if it's outside the provisions set forth in those handbooks and manuals, all right? So we're going to grieve everything that they do. Like I said, we're going to grieve them into submission. Uh, Let me start off by saying some tough love here for the NELC, for the people that work for the NELC, and I'm not talking about national level. I'm talking about shop stewards if you're in that capacity, branch presidents, formal A's if you're in that capacity. A business agent's office. Anybody that works there, um, we're failing. We're failing our people across this country. The things that I see, uh, people send me through messages and emails. uh, We're failing our people terribly. I don't know how it's come to this. I don't because in my branch, I don't. I've never dealt with that before. (laughs) I've never dealt with that before. Like I said, when I came in, Tom Rollins was the president, a hellraiser. Dave Clark took over his spot. I've told you before. I've got more respect for that man than any man has ever walked. Uh, that man's integrity is second to none. Now my president, now that took over Dave's place, is a lady named Dana Chambliss, hellraiser. You know, uh, that's all I've. That's all I'm used to. Is hellraisers. In my branch, uh, my formal A, JB, the one before that, we, we, you know, we've always had good formal A's that will represent their people. Uh, I don't understand the union's inability to represent their people fully. I'll never understand that because to me, you volunteered to do this for a reason. What was the reason that you volunteered to do it? That's what I don't understand because if the reason you did it is to represent then that's what you need to be doing. If you're not representing, then you obviously you took that position with something else in mind. What was it? Uh, in the union with the NALC, it, to me, if you're working with in, in any capacity with the NALC, in any capacity, there needs to be a searing, zealous, torrid love affair for the letter carrier. Did you all hear me? There needs to be a searing, zealous, torrid love affair for the city letter carrier. That's exactly the mindset when you get into that position. There needs to be a love affair for that city letter carrier, an overwhelming zealousness to represent. And if it's not, then you're not in the right position. You're not doing the right thing. You're not doing what you've been called to do. Maybe it's something else that you need to, to look into. But if you don't have that, that torrid love affair for the city letter carrier, if that's not who you are, you, you shouldn't be working for the NALC in any capacity. In any capacity. I had a young lady I've uh, been trying to help. She got removed. And uh, she showed me her case file and I sent it to her. And that happens all the time. I mean, I look at case files all the time. So because to me, it's very easy to take somebody's story one side and say that we're wrong. I need to see that the case file. Let's see what we're talking about, because that way I'm not duped, you know. And I'm looking at this case file, absolutely atrocious. The care that went into it, the time that went into it, pathetic, absolutely pathetic. There's no way possible when I look at this case file that the person who did it all the way up the line had that torrid love affair for that city letter care. That's how we have to be. The things that I, I saw that we missed, that we didn't request, is basic elementary stuff, and nothing else came of that. The only thing that I could come up with is they could care less. They could care less. I see it so many times in things that people send me they could care less. Why are you there? Why are you there? Dealt with another situation. A young lady works at the post office and her son works at the post office. And she messages me that her son had FMLA and management basically got mad at this kid because he wouldn't fill out some paperwork for him that he's not required to fill out. And so they just they just put him off the clock. They sent him home saying, you know, we don't have any work for you. It's a very long story. But ultimately, the union let this, this kid down. We failed this kid. Uh, this young lady sent me all the paperwork, and I said, look, we need to be filing a grievance on this. There needs to be a grievance filed because he's got these restrictions under FMLA, so many occurrences per month. When they asked him to sign this piece of paper and do all these things that he's not required to do, he said he's not going to do it, they said they no longer had work for him. Under these same restrictions now, under these same occurrences. So he's sitting at home now. So she asked me, is there a grievance there? Absolutely, there's a grievance there. We need to be filing a grievance. And this is what you're going to file. And this is what you're going to say. And this is what you're going to request. And this is what you're going to ask management I told her all these things. These are the things that you need to do to file this grievance. So the shop steward and the formal A call me and I tell them the same thing. So they run it up to the business agent's office and the business agent's office says, I don't know. I don't know if there's a grievance there. We failed this kid when they said that. We failed him. Where is our passion to represent city letter carriers at every level? Where is our passion? Where is that love affair to represent our city letter carriers no matter what? We failed that kid when we decided to sit back and and sit on our hands and do nothing. So this lady had to represent her own son in an EEO hearing, and she won. Won three months' worth of back pay. She won. And do you know what management said in the EEO hearing? What management told the mediator? in the EEO hearing, well, they didn't think they had to owe anything because the union never filed a grievance. That's what they said. We didn't know that we were wrong because the union never filed a grievance. Why should we have to pay anything? The union never got involved. The union never filed a grievance. That's what they said. I remember when this lady called me and said that she's going to represent her son. I said, ask management this one thing. Ask them in there, because if it, goes to, if it would have went to arbitration, if there was a grievance filed and it went to arbitration, this is what I would ask management, because they cannot answer this question. Why are we interpreting the FMLA differently now than it was before? It's as simple as that. Why was this gentleman able to work before you asked him to sign the letter? And why is he able not to work now after he refused to sign the letter? What is the difference there? It's as simple as that. I said, ask them that. That's all you need to ask them because they can't answer it. And so in the mediation, she asked them. Before you gave him this letter, it was the same restrictions. And he was able to work every single day. You asked him to sign this letter. He said, no, he's not obligated to do that. It's the same restrictions after. and You tell him he, you no longer have work available. What, what happened? Where did we get lost in translation right there? That's exactly what I told the union officials that called me. And we did nothing. We did nothing. Why? We're scared of uh, a grievance. We're scared of arbitration. What are we doing? Talking to the NELC. What are we doing? If we're not representing our people. If you look at something, well, I just don't know. Hey, baby, this guy's sitting at home. No work. Doing Nothing. We don't have time for you to sit there and wring your hands and say, I don't know. Do we have a grievance? file the fucking grievance and let's move on. Let's get that thing in front of an arbitrator because I'm going to ask the same questions to an arbitrator. I'm going to ask the same questions to management and arbitration. They cannot answer. We've got to have a torrid, searing love affair for the city letter carrier if we're going to if we're going to survive. It's that simple. We cannot, in, in places of power, of position, be scared of a damn grievance. You represent us at all cost. You represent us at all costs. Here's a kid that was left at home for three months because the union would not do the most basic job and file a fucking grievance. The young lady has to represent her son in the EEO, And she asked the very question I told her to ask, and management couldn't answer it. You know why? Because there's no answer. It's that basic. It was that simple. And for some reason, we decided not to do anything and hurt this kid. To say that pisses me off is an understatement, because that's what we're charged to do. That's especially, especially at the business agent level. Man, y'all are supposed to be the fucking elites, the dogs, the pit bulls, the vipers. That's what needs to be out of that business agent's office, and we terribly let this family down. That's some tough love right there. But we need to be about the business of city letter carriers at every fucking level, man. We've got to be about the business of city letter carriers at every level. If we're not, what are we doing? Why are we here? I told y'all we're supposed to be the agents. This is talking to NELC now. We're supposed to be the agents of these people that are in light blue, right? Our brothers and sisters rely on us to be their agents to defend them like a pit bull would. And we're not doing that. The things that I see, it's, it's completely frustrating to know that that's happening out there across this country. That we're not representing our people like we should. It's mind-blowing. The things that I see. We've got to change course. We've got to change course, family. If we're in that position of power, of leadership, the agent, we have got to have a searing love affair for the city letter carrier that will stand up to anything and everything and fight anything and everything. That's what we have to be about. New stewards, have that searing, passionate love affair for the city letter carrier, man. Any new steward, formal A's, branch president's, Man, have that passionate love affair for the city letter carrier. If you don't, you're in the wrong position. You are. You're in the wrong position. And you're going to fail us if you don't have that. I had um, a member of the APWU message me. Poor lady, she's going to arbitration Tuesday. And she messaged me this morning about how her union has let her down. She's not heard from the advocate yet going to arbitration Tuesday now going to arbitration Tuesday. She's been removed for a violation of uh, zero tolerance policy. She put her hands on somebody, not in an intimidating, threatening or harmful way. Uh, the manager was all over and she asked the manager to move out of her way and just kind of brushed up against her and management, not having a witness, removed this girl. And, um, she sent me all of her stuff, and I, I gave her a bullet point of about thirty things that was wrong with the position. Because uh, I don't, I don't care. I mean, I'm it, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> I'm here to educate and help. You know, I get emails and messages all the time for people wanting help, and, and that's what I'm here for. So if they're gonna send me some. I'm gonna help, right? And I got off the uh, when I finished messaging with this young lady, I thought, man. What has happened? What has happened to us as a union? Now, that's APW. They're not part of us. But where is that that love affair for our members? You know, I see unions trying to start up across this country, man. I'm pulling for them. Uh, You've got Amazon. You've got Starbucks. All of these. and, And I'm rooting for them. And, and I'm wanting to tell them, look, I understand the money. I understand the benefits. I understand all those things. And that's, that's what we're trying to do. But make sure that when you represent your people, it's more than that. It's more than that. There has to be a torrid love affair for your people if you want to succeed, if you want to survive. It, it just does. And uh, we're we're lacking that with the NELC for some reason. I don't know why. I don't know why. Um, I don't get into politics. Never will. Uh, I hate politics at any level. Uh, I don't discuss politics. I don't discuss religion. (laughs) I worship how I want to worship. Y'all worship how you want to worship if we worship at all. Uh, You vote for who you want to vote for. I, I don't care. I'm gonna vote how I vote, you vote how you vote, and I'm gonna love you just the same, right? You're still my brothers and sisters. I don't care uh, I wish that the n a l c would get out of that business, and I know that they have to say, "Hey, look, these are people that support the unions that you know historically support the unions. I get that I get that, but when you get up, like when I went to national before I was kicked out. <laughs> And I watch one side get totally bashed for an entire week. You know, one side of the political party just get completely trashed all week. I'm thinking to myself all week, how fucking ignorant are we at that level to do that? What kind of ignorance does it take to get up and bash one side of the political party, all week long, the stupidity of that. When we do that, and here's why: when when SEP first started, uh, my business agent called me and he said, "Hey, you know, here's a new thing. It's Colsep. Uh We're going to try to get uh, the most people involved as we can." I said, "Okay." I said. I'll take care of it for you. So here up, up in my installation, I got the most democratic voter that I could. I mean, he's straight Democrat. I got the most Republican individual I could find. Straight Republican. Told him the benefits of coal sip, and I said, "You, sir, Mr. Republican, go to all the the Republicans that you know. Let's talk to them. Let's let's get them involved. You, Mr. Democrat, You go to all the Democrats and get them involved. Because we're going to, as far as Colsep, you know, those people that support us, we're going to support them. And so we were getting record numbers out of our installation. And they they called and asked me, you know, how I was doing it. And I told them. And then we're going to get up in front of the country and bash the shit out of another party. And you want me to go to them and say, hey, look here. I know that we spent all week just kicking the shit out of your party. Do you mind contributing to the political action fund? Do you mind contributing to what was once Colsep? How fucking ignorant is that? What about their dues? Do they spend different than another party's? I'd imagine that all the parties' dues spend the same, right? I mean, a Democrat paying thirty dollars and a Republican paying thirty dollars—I imagine they're both thirty fucking dollars, right? That's what I would think. I don't know that one party's $30 spends better than the other party. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. That's why I do not do politics on this podcast at all. I don't. We've got to be careful that we're not ignorant as far as what we're doing. Whoever the union wants to support, that's their business. I understand that they have to do those things, and that's fine. Whoever you vote for, that's your business you were raised a certain way, or when you got older, you felt like voting a certain way for a certain reason. Man, that's your right. That's your right. But to sit here and demolish one side over the other is sheer ignorance. And hopefully, hopefully, with new leadership, we'll get away from that. Hopefully. Uh, Because it damages us on the workroom floor. Because My station's split down the middle. Everybody loves each other, but they're split down the middle. And I'm always having to hear from one side saying, damn, why is the union just jumping all over my shit? And I'm having to defend that. And then going up to them and saying, hey, I'm sorry about what we said about your your party, but do you mind contributing to Colsep? (laughs) You know, damn, man. Hopefully with new leadership, we'll do better than that. I'm hoping. Uh, that's all my politics for today. <laughs> that's my soapbox, but it's just some things that come up, and like I say, I'm going to talk about it when they come up. And that's uh, that's one of the things that uh, been talked about here a lot lately uh, is that. And so, that's the only politics I'm going to talk about. Just hope we do a better job of uh, not ostracizing a certain element of our our workforce because everybody has the right to vote for whoever they want to vote for, or not vote. Everybody has that right, and we don't understand that. Like I say, when I go into arbitration, I don't ask the grievant, who do you vote for? You know why? Because I love that individual regardless. And I'm going to love them regardless. I have that passionate love affair for the city letter carrier. I've got that. I've already had it. I'm not concerned about it. <laughs> I know where I'm at. Um, but the things that I see bother me. And, and hopefully, hopefully, we will, uh, we'll get past that and we'll start doing that. We'll start representing our people like they should be represented. I'm hoping that, that more podcasts jump up. I'm hoping that, uh, that more education starts. I, I truly am. We need to have a hundred of them. Or a thousand of them, the more education, the better, and I feel that way. I know there are a few out there. I, I do know that um, National has started a new one. Mr. Renfro and Mr. Barner have started one, and so uh, if I'm going to talk about it negatively in past episodes, I'm going to I'm going to pump it on future episodes. Okay, that, that's just how I am, and so. Uh, Mr. Renfro Mr. Barner, I believe, have a new one out. And I think it's called Letter Carriers First. And uh, good name, Letter Carriers First. So it's a podcast by Renfro Barner team. Y'all check it out. Check it out. Anybody who starts a podcast, give me a holler. And I, and I don't mind putting it out there. Okay? Um, but... You know, when I had that episode, there's a few back when I talked about what happened to me at the National Convention. Uh, I didn't hold back as far as what I felt. And I never will. I never will. Um, you know, I've had some, like I stated, I had some influential people talk to me about doing this. And they did not ask me to do this because I'm a dumbass. They did not ask me to do this because I didn't know what in the fuck I was talking about. I've got experience talking about certain things. So when that happened to me, uh, it set me off. You better believe it. Because the only thing I care about is city letter carriers. I've said that from the very beginning. The only thing I care about is my brothers and sisters, city letter carriers. That's it. That's all I care about. So when that happened, you know, it set me off because I'm thinking, you know, you sorry fuckers, you know. I'm sitting there trying to represent, trying to educate, and y'all going to do this shit to me. And so, uh, you know, I didn't mince my words, and I didn't hold back. But about a week later, I was out shopping, and I get a phone call from somebody, and they apologized to me. And we talked for a long time, a real long time, probably about an hour. We talked, and uh, they apologized profusely, you know. And so um, I said, hey, look, what happened happened. It is what it is. Uh, I'm a city letter carrier man just trying to educate. And during our conversation, this individual and I, we start talking about City Letter Carriers. And I said this. I said, sir, if you can give me your word, if you can give me your word right now that the only thing you will be about is City Letter Carriers. The only thing that you will be about is City Letter Carriers. And you put City Letter Carriers first in everything that you do and every decision that you make, I promise you, I will back you 100%. I said, but if you cannot promise me that, we're wasting our time on this phone call. And he told me, he said, Corey, I promise you now, the letter carrier will always come first. The letter carrier will always come first. I said, the proof is in the pudding, my man. I said, but I will give you the benefit of the doubt. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt and you show me and I'll have your back a hundred percent. And so I'm not going to say who it was. <laughs> I'm not going to say who it was, but it was a very good conversation. It really was. And, and again, I'm nobody. I'm nobody, man. I'm Corey Walton from Nashville, Tennessee, <laughs> city carrier. But uh, it meant a lot to me that they would reach out to me. They didn't owe me that. Don't nobody owe me nothing. You didn't owe me no apology, nothing. What happened, happened, you know? Um, but, you know, they called me and apologized. So I'll take that for what it is, okay? But if I'm going to spend a whole episode just trashing the shit out of something, I'll take a few minutes to, to give props to where it's due, right? That's just how I'm going to do it. But NLC, listen. Have a love affair for the city, let her care. Always, always, you've got to, you've got to. If you're in any capacity, that should be your mindset. We should never have stories like these individuals I told you about earlier. There should never be anybody left behind and not represented. We failed failed our people if that happens. We failed them. Don't ever be scared of agreements. Don't ever be scared of arbitration. I'll take anything and, and everything to arbitration. I don't care what it looks like. I'm gonna take it to arbitration. I am not scared of arbitration. Let's be better than that, okay? That's thirty minutes of me ranting about probably nothing. That's <laughs> all over the place, but uh, just the lights come up this week, you know, that's troubled me as far as what we're doing with the NLC not with city letter Cares, but what we're doing to, to represent our people. And um, so with that being said, I want to read a couple of things that were sent to me. And then we're going to get into these uh, changing start times. I've got some very good sites. So if y'all want to get a pen and paper, and they'll be up on from 8arbitration.com. So make sure you get on from 8arbitration.com. Uh, there's a template on there changing start times we may add to the issue here a little bit uh going to have some very good sites for you that are they're all over the place as far as changing start times they're going to give you several different avenues to address okay changing start times um i do believe that that's going to be critical during this this period of time with t rap because management if they're going to say that you have a certain time that you have to be off the street say six o'clock And then they change the start times to later. They're basically crunching your time, if that makes sense. So if if I'm going to be uh, maximized to 12 and you crunch my time to 10, you're going to see a lot of Article 8 violations. And they're going to justify that by saying, hey, well, we changed the start times to later and all the carriers have to be off the street by 6. So it's impossible for us to maximize to 12 because we have these windows. Uh, So always grieve the window of operation or dispatch of value if that's happening. But also these start time changes. Anytime you have a start time change, let's grieve it, okay? Let's grieve those things before they get kicked into effect, like when they put a notice up. Let's go on and grieve that notice, okay? Don't wait for the action. When they put up a notice saying start times will be changing, let start that 14 days from that notice, okay? Uh, some people say start the change. I don't do that. You put a notice up, you already told me what you're going to do. And uh, let's get that in the works. But some T-Rap things some people sent me. And I'll read these. They're very good. Uh, and, and I'm going to try to, anytime somebody sends me something like this, I'm going to read it to you. And this is what he says. "Is he hey, Corey, we just completed T-Rap this past Friday, 9222. I'm the local contact for our station. As of now, I have no idea how it is going to turn out. But I thought that I would share some issues that we had at our office. And any issues like this, I am going to share. So anybody got any that you want me to share that you're seeing? uh, Send them to me because I want my people to know about it. I want our carriers to know about it, okay? And some of the things you've heard before, we've already dealt with them. Uh, Number one, every carrier must carry the scanner to give the union ammunition to capture time. I was able to get through to most carriers, but there was a few senior carriers who said to hell with it and didn't carry them. They all lost time. Y'all hear me about the importance of carrying the scanner with each at all times. Uh, the memo that my friend wrote last week talked about that. Carry the scanner with you. Just carry it with you. Put it in your pocket. <laughs> if you got one house, you know, carry it with you at all times so that they don't have to worry about or guess it takes all the guesswork out of it you know, what you're doing. Okay, so carry that scanner with you. He said that people actually lost time because they refused to carry the scanner with them at all times. Every carrier must study and learn everything possible about the work hour workload report. And JB talked about the importance of that in his episode. When numbers are wrong, make management correct them. And we've talked about that over and over again. Look at that work hour workload report, find those anomalies If you got 10 minutes of office time, you know that's wrong. Make sure that's corrected. If you got 35 minutes of street time with no auxiliary assistance, you know that that's wrong. Get those things corrected. Okay? Those are just basic, you know, examples. We only had one incident that I'm aware of that we couldn't correct. One of our carriers had a full coverage circular as a third bundle on a Saturday. The carrier didn't realize that management hadn't given them credit for the circular, the SEQ, when you see that code on there, sequence, until Tuesday it was too late to make the correction in DOAS. The only thing the REIT team could do was ensure the volume was added to the carrier's assignment on Monday. At least we were able to catch it and bring to their attention, though. So if we have third bundles, if we have sequence mail, if we have you know, all these EDDM mail, Make sure that those things have been put on your work hour workload report. Three, cooperation with management at the local level. The local contacts are required to jointly agree on replacement carriers when the regular is unable to be present. We had several carriers who already had annual leave scheduled when we were notified that we had been selected 30 days prior. Let me tell you what our local management decided to do. Instead of allowing my acting manager and I to decide on replacement carriers for each day, they pulled CCAs to carry rule routes. This is a chronic issue that we have been dealing with and is at step B again, this last, the last I heard. There wasn't a single day out of the six live days that we didn't split a route. Next, we were hit with a red line policy on Wednesday of the live week. We were already grieving it, but Damn. Finally, management decided that it would be a great week to start denying any overtime requested above Doe's projections. We are grieving it, but again, damn it, man. It felt like we were being ambushed from every direction all week. The volume was mostly normal for the week and was comparable to the seven random weeks data. Do y'all remember, I've said it a thousand times, management is going to fuck this up. Management is going to do everything that they can to fuck us over right here, period. What does he say? That they're starting to deny all 3996 is based off of Dois. He says they're grieving it, but hell, until that grievance comes back, that's what we're going to get. Right before they come in, what they do, they implement this red line policy. Look, we're ahead of that. We, We know how dirty and low down they are, and we're trying to educate on that. We've got to be ready for these things when they implement them. Grieve the shit out of them, like I stated. We've jumped on doors. We've jumped on pet our office times, red line policy, thirty nine ninety sixes. All of these things that management's going to use on us. We're we're doing episodes on them to educate our people. Make sure that we're grieving these things. You know, it's like we can tell the future on them. That, but when you are dealing with dishonest people it's easy to see where they're coming from but you know like you said damn with the red line policy on wednesday denying every 39.96 based off of doas you know we know their playbook we just got to educate ourselves on how to beat it right consultations if you carry your scanner and work a fair day's work for a fair day of pay your consultation will be very brief However, if you don't carry your scanner, then you better have a really good memory and be a snake oil salesman because management is coming for your time. I found the consultations in our office left a lot of questions to be answered. No one has been informed of their evaluated times as of today. The REIT team basically just said, stand by. I have pushed these issues up the chain and pissed off several people, but it only seems right to attempt to fix this before the teams move on to another station. M-1983 on page 12, it states that the local contacts may request the unedited DSR summary page, the edited DSR summary page, and the PS-3999 DSR upon request. Well, I did that. Seems everyone up the chain doesn't like that either. I was only requesting the information that was available so that I could learn and attempt to answer the many questions that my fellow carriers have been asking me. This process takes for granted that most carriers just want to come in, carry their routes, and go home. Most could care less about DOAS reports, MOUs, REIT teams, and consultations. I feel like we've been fighting DOAS and PET for all these years, and now the union is telling us to rely on those projections somewhat. I agree, my man. With all these issues, we may gain routes and everything work out beautifully, but we may not. This is, that is yet to be determined. I am cautiously optimistic by nature, but boy, oh boy, management is some dirty son of a bitches. In solidarity, my man there. So, that tells y'all what you need to be doing, right? it's not going to be from lack of effort on this podcast to tell y'all what we need to be doing and trying to educate y'all on what management's going to be doing. The things that they're going to start implementing to beat us outside these memos. Okay. Another thing on the red line policy. And this is another thing that's chaps the shit out of me. This person sent me this. He says, we grieved red line in the spring talking about the red line policy. We felt like we never got a clear answer from the B team. Because the issue was undelivered mail and the B team only answered undelivered mail and hold mail. We called the RAA and he had never heard of a red line and said he's fine with leaving parcels before red line. We said clerks are bring them to our cases or somewhere else that was wrong. He said as long as it's not the supervisors doing it, he was fine with it. Uh, this was the only B team decision we haven't fully won outright in the last year. And our postmaster brings it up all the time. And he sent me the B-team decision, and uh, unfortunately it was shitty because the B-team denied the grievance, saying that nothing about the red line policy. They didn't do away with the red line policy. It just said that certain portions of the red line policy weren't correct as far as taking the mail back. Look. We're trying to get rid of the red line policy in its entirety. We don't pick and choose things out of it to say it's not right. It's a policy. That's what we're attacking is the policy in whole. So if you cannot get management to rescind the policy, send the son of a bitch on up. Don't say management is within their rights to do this red line policy, but this part you can do, this part they can't do. But don't do that. Don't do that. We want the red line policy rescinded, right? If you go in to buy a new car and you go on the workroom floor and you're like, man, that is a sweet looking vehicle right there. How much is it? This vehicle is $65,000. Oh shit. $65,000. Yeah. Well, how much are the seats? Do what? What if I just take the leather seats? Can I just buy those out of the car? Well, no, the car is the car. What about that, that stereo system? Can I just buy that out of the car? What the hell are you talking about? The car is the car. It's $65,000. You either want the car or you don't. That's what we're doing when we do that, what the B team just did. Well, here's the red line policy. Well, let me just take this out of it and just take this. We're going to rescind the whole damn policy. Anybody and everybody listening to this, we're rescinding the entire policy. Do not take bits and pieces out of it. We want the red line policy rescinded. So this B team member for us failed us when they agreed to that shit. They failed us. It is frustrating when you see this type of shit, knowing what's going on down here on this workroom floor, knowing what we're having to battle every day with these sorry bastards on this workroom floor. When they implement all this shit and we send it up to somebody who doesn't do anything but sit and read and has lost touch with what we do down here, and you get some bullshit like that, and then you call the RA and they're like, What's a red line policy? Come on, man. Fuck. You're out of touch with your people. What's a red line policy? Son of a bitch. Look. We cannot be that out of touch with our people in those important spots in the NLC. We cannot be out of touch with our people with such a critical spot in the NLC as the business agent's office. We cannot be. That's what I'm saying. If you have a torrid, passionate love affair for the city letter carrier, you know every breath they take. You just do. That's the position that you're in. That's the position you chose to be in is one that is of such importance that full time you're going to be dealing with me on the working floor full time. You're going to be dealing with the city letter carrier. That's the position that you, that you chose to take man work like that. Be that person, have that love affair for the city letter carrier, man. You cannot be half ass in that position. You cannot be. We're gonna get run over down here if that's the if that's the case. It's frustrating as fuck when I when I see things like that. Man, y'all fight, son. You fight. Right? Don't ever stop fighting for us. Here's another thing a guy sent me, it's pretty interesting. I didn't know that, but this is it's pretty neat and it'll, you know, if you're shop stores or city letter carriers, if you're listening, he said, I'll tell you that, that my management partner has not even attempted to argue with me when I suggest time being returned to the route that was improperly deducted. One flaw I have noticed is that when another carrier drives through someone else's route, DSR adds the carrier to the route for the day as a pivot. Y'all hear that? So if you're driving through somebody's route, DSR is going to take that time and add it to a pivot, even though you maybe you're just driving to your route. Not always, but often enough that it should be addressed. Also, if a carrier drives by the post office, they get flagged as inside DU, even though they clearly didn't stop. Inside DU is automatically deducted from the route, as I'm sure you know. So if you're driving by the station, it's going to Put you inside that geofence, and it's going to say that you're inside, and it's going to deduct that time. Look, our REIT team members are, are kicking ass right now. They are. They're fighting for every second. I know that. I, they send me stuff all the time. They're fighting for every second. And, and this thing is, is amazing, I'm sure, but there's so many hiccups like that where these people are trying to, to save us every second of time. They're trying to save us every second. they're trying to catch these little flaws. You know, God bless them, man. Hey, re-team people, I love you. (laughs) I appreciate you, man. Everything that you're doing, I appreciate you. At every level, you know, you see these people saying we're fighting like hell. That's right, damn it. That's right. You fight like hell for us, man. Another thing, uh, I had a few individuals last week. Message me that they're new, brand new stewards, uh, still learning the ropes. I appreciate y'all, by the way, I do. And trust me, I'm here for you. I'm here for you, new stewards. I'm telling you, uh, we've had a lot reach out. We're helping a lot. So, new stewards, you know, I, I thank you. I thank you for what you're doing for your people, man. I do. Don't give up. Keep fighting. You know, it's a thankless job, but don't give up. But I had a few of them message me this week and said, hey, you always talk about 33 minutes of fixed office time, 43 minutes of fixed office time, management challenges, that here and there, and last week I talked about the 43 minutes and 33 minutes of fixed office time. They're not going to do away with it. We still get it. It's still in those memos, 33 minutes of fixed office time and 43 minutes of fixed office time. So I had some new stewards say, what does that mean? What does 33 minutes of fixed office time consist of? And I thought, that's a damn good question. <laughs> that's a damn good question. Because if I've never heard of 33 minutes of fixed office time, I'd say what? What does that mean? What does that consist of? What, is, what am I supposed to be doing for 33 minutes of fixed office time? Now, obviously, the 43 minutes means the 10-minute break is added onto it. So you got 33 minutes of fixed office time without a break. 43 minutes of fixed office time with a break. That's the 10 extra minutes, okay? So I've got something here I'm going to read to you. I'll, also, Jeremy's going to put it up on formatearbitration.com. You copy it. Copy it. Take it with you. Put it up at work. Put it on your union board at work. But this is a M39 222.214A, okay? M39 222.214A. The time allowances for carrier office work. Time allowances for carrier office work. And I'm just going to go straight down through here. It's 23 of them, but I'm going to read them right here on this episode, okay? One, routing letter size mail. Pieces per minute, 18. Routing letter size mail. Pieces per minute, 18. Routing all other size mail. Eight pieces per minute. So when you hear about 18 and 8, you all heard of 18 and 8 before? That's what it's talking about. 18 letters per minute, eight flats, and other pieces per minute, okay? Strapping mail in bundles or placing in trays, preparing relays, and placing mail into satchels for each 70 pieces, regardless of character, minimum allowance, three minutes. Strapping mail in bundles for markup at computerized forwarding unit, Lines 1, 2, 3, combined mail volume, strapping out pieces of markup pieces, is used in determining time allowance at 70 pieces per minute. So, strapping out time. For each 10 pieces of classes of mail, separated for forwarding or return. It says for each 10 pieces of classes of mail, separated for forwarding or return, one minute. Okay, strapping out time, one minute. Periodicals marked up. For each two pieces handled for forwarding or return, one minute. All right, periodicals marked up. For each form 3579, undeliverable periodical, standard A and B, or controlled circulation matter, two minutes. For each four pieces marked up, mail marked deceased, temporarily away, refused, vacant, occupant mail, or obvious value, or no mail receptacle, one minute. For each change of address, including Form 3546, recorded on Forms 1564B and 3982, two minutes. That's for each change of address card. Insured receipts turned in, one minute. Then it's got registered, certified, COD, express mail, customs and postage due, keys, Form 3868, signing for returning funds or receipts, And if for partial completion of Form 3849, name or address for identification base minimum allowance is six minutes. Withdrawing mail where applicable from distribution cases, trays, sacks, and or hampers, base minimum allowed five minutes. Sequencing and collating bypass mail, representative time and minutes will be allowed work function. Strapping out time, when mail must be placed in order of delivery. Representative time and minutes will be allowed for the work function. Break. Vehicle inspection. See 922.5. Base minimum allowance is three minutes. Vehicle inspection. Personnel needs. Personal needs, etc. Time allowances are printed on the form for each trip and must not be changed. Office work not covered by form. Work functions must be identified and approved as being necessary and of continuing nature. Base allowed, nine minutes. Waiting for mail and all other office activities not performed on a continuing basis which are excluded in computing net office time. Counting mail and filling out 1838C worksheet. Now that's based off six-day count. But that's, that'll, I'll put that up, uh, have Jeremy put that up on the ratearbitration.com, and that's in very small print. That's the reason I was having a hard time reading. Y'all know I'm blind as hell. But that is the office time, and we're talking about it. So all those things are included in the 33 minutes of fixed office time, okay? Uh, and all of those things management takes out under PET. So when management gives us our lead time based off of PET, it's taking every bit of those things out. And that's the reason we don't go by pet, right? All right, let's talk about uh, changing of start times, management's changing of start times, okay? Uh, like I said, all of these things, these things have been happening forever. But especially right now with the new memos, anything management does, we have to make sure that we're grieving them. Like that red line policy, I got off on that. But that's a violation of, of handbooks and manuals, the entire policy is. So when we pick and choose shit out of it, I don't like that we need to beat the entire policy Uh, but this changing of start times is age old but right now with management trying to steal from us as much as they do trying to to take from us uh, we need to grieve everything you know if they're changing our start times we need to grieve it there's a template that's going to be put up uh it's a good template it's the issue is kind of skewed a little bit but it'll it'll be enough and then I'll read you some arbitration decisions on it. So get you a pen, write down the numbers. Jeremy's already put those up on from arbitrationcom and pull those out. And the best way to learn is read arbitration decisions. I'm telling you, the best way to learn to, to see an arbitrator's mindset, the arguments made by both parties, uh, is to read those decisions. Just get them and read them. And, and that's, that's the way I learned. Changing start times, and I'm just going to read the template. That's all right. Kind of let you know where we're going. And then uh, it's got an information request and a request for stewards time. Uh, It's got uh, the request for information in there, so that'll be very, very good when you're going to arbitration to have this information request. Now, as you'll see, a lot of arbitrators, they say, management, you changed the start time, the burden's on you to show why you did it. And that's what we're going to show here in these arbitration sites. But a lot of arbitrators puts that on us on management. They're like, you know, you changed the start time, show me why you did it. You're saying that it was for better efficiency? Show me how. You're showing that it was because of the carrier's performance was unsatisfactory? Show me what you did. To show to support that to prove that so those we'll get into that when we get into the arbitrations okay but here's the 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 template changing start times local grievance number it gives you a local grievance uh, a spot to put your local grievance number in there issue statement block fifteen of PS form eighty one ninety the issue statement did management violate Article Five and Section one twenty two of the M thirty nine handbook via Article 19 of the National Agreement when they change letter carrier start times on whatever date. If so, what is the appropriate remedy? Okay, so there's your issue. Union facts and contentions, Block 17 of PS Form 8190, facts. Letter carriers and the installation there were notified that their start times will be changed from that time to that time, effective that date. Number two, carrier start time in the installation has been that time since that date. Number three, most importantly, at least 80% of the carrier's daily mail to be cased is on or at the carrier cases when they report for work, and that's the most important thing. All arbitrators hinge on that, okay? At least 80% of the carrier's daily mail to be cased is on or at the carrier's cases when they report for work. Number four, management cited give an explanation as the justification for changing start times. So whatever management tells you when you ask, "Hey, why are you changing our start times?" write it down. Arbitrators are going to hold them to that. They're going to, regardless if it changes as it goes up the ladder. If you ask your manager, "Why did you change the start times?" and they say this right here, write that down and put it in these contentions. An arbitrator is going to hold on to that. Like I said, Formal A may change the position, the B team may change the position, and an advocate may come in there and change the position. An arbitrator is going to go on what that shop steward was told on that workroom floor. They just are. So make sure it says management cited, gives an explanation, as the justification for changing the start times. So make sure you ask them why they're doing it. Number five. Article five is explained on page five when the J-CAM states in relevant part. Prohibition on unilateral changes. Article 5 prohibits management from taking any unilateral action inconsistent with the terms of the existing agreement or with its obligations under law. Section 8D of the National Labor Relations Act. Remember that because that's another people's issue statement. Okay. Okay. Section 8D of the National Labor Relations Act prohibits an employer from making unilateral changes in wages, hours, or working conditions during the term of a collective bargaining agreement. And so some of these arbitration sites, they have did management violate Articles 5, Section 122 of the M39 Handbook via Article 19, and Section 8D of the National Labor Relations Act. They have that as an additional issue, okay, okay? If that makes sense. Number six, Article nineteen, as explained in part on page nineteen one of the JCAM, provides handbooks and manuals. Article nineteen provides that those postal handbook and manual provisions directly relating to wages, hours, or working conditions are enforceable as though they were part of the national agreement. And new stewards, why is that important? Why is that, that language in Article nineteen important? Because that's how we incorporate the M41 handbook, M39 handbook, ELM, any step four, any M document. That's how we incorporate those into our issue is through Article 19. Okay. It goes on. Taken together, the above reference sites provide that management is prohibited from taking actions affecting wages, hours, or working conditions that are inconsistent with its own handbooks and manuals. Further, those parts of handbooks and manuals that directly related to wages, hours, and working conditions are enforceable as though were a part of the national agreement. And that explained it to you there. Seven, the M39. Now, this is the most important thing right here, okay? The M39 section 122 lists the factors that must be considered when establishing schedules as follows. 122.11. Consider the following factors in establishing schedules. A. Schedule carriers to report before 6 a.m. only when absolutely necessary. B. The most important one. B. Fix schedules to coincide with receipt and dispatch of mail. At least 80% of the carriers' daily mail to be cased should be on or at their cases when they report for work. I'm going to read that again and tell you a little something after this. B, fixed schedules to coincide with receipt and dispatch of mail. At least 80% of the carrier's daily mail to be cased should be on or at their cases when they report for work. Now, what did that not say? Parcels. Right? Parcels have nothing to do with start time changes. Do not let management say we can't get the parcels up in time. That is not part of this criteria. Because management will always say, well, the, the mail is there, but the parcels are nowhere near ready. That does not matter. Okay? Parcels are not part of the equation. It's 80% of the carrier's daily mail to be cased. We don't case parcels. All right? C, schedule carriers by groups. Form groups of carriers who make the same number of delivery trips and whose office time is approximately the same. D. Generally, schedule carriers of the same group to begin, leave, return, and end at the same time. E. Schedule so that delivery to customers should be approximately the same time each day. F. Make a permanent schedule change when it is apparent that one or more days' mail volume varies to where it is causing late leaving. And we'll talk about that one in this one of these sites. G. Set schedule carriers non-work days in accordance with the national agreement. Number eight, and this is critical because a lot of arbitrators hang on to this language too. Number eight, National Arbitrator Carlton Snow interpreted the regulations of Section 122 of the M39 in Decision C-23986. This is what it states in relevant part. It is undisputable that the employer has a right to determine the method means, and personnel by which operations are to be conducted and also to make reasonable decisions that maintain the efficiency of the operation. Managerial control of work schedules, however, is not totally unfettered or without limitations. The M39 handbook specifies that schedules must be fixed to coincide with the receipt and dispatch of mail. The instruction is not a suggestion but is stated as an imperative And that's what that's the language that arbitrators are going to hang on to. Okay, the instruction is not a suggestion, but is stated as an imperative. The handbook, which pursuant to Article 19 of the labor contract has been incorporated into the party's collective bargaining agreement, eliminates a manager's unfettered control over start times. That's massive. And this is national arbitrator snow now. That, that is a killer sentence. says, The handbook, which pursuant to Article 19 of the labor contract has been incorporated into the party's collective bargaining agreement, eliminates a manager's unfettered control over start times. So we have a right to grieve start time changes, right? Management has an obligation under uh, Section 122 of the M39 handbook, Right? And National Arbitrator Snow says that they do not have unfettered control over those start times. That's massive. Start times remain within management's control, but must be exercised after giving due deference to the M39 handbook. That's a killer part right there. Number nine, National Arbitrator Neil Bernstein gave the following guidance in his decision for case C. 7233, and all these things are on that template on from aidarbitration.com. Further, the present national arbitrator is not bound in any way by awards issued by regional arbitrators on this issue. The whole purpose of the national arbitration scheme is to establish a level of definitive rulings on contract interpretation questions of general applicability. National decisions bind the regional arbitrators and not the reverse. And why that's so critical? That management can bring in 50 regional arbitrators' decisions on start time changes. That one decision from arbitrator Snow trumps all of them. Right? Management can bring in six boxes of regional arbitrators' decisions. That one decision from national arbitrator Snow trumps all of it. Okay? But an advocate's going to take care of that. The above case makes clear that national arbitration decisions are definitive and binding on regional arbitrators. Therefore, National Arbitrator Snow's ruling that the considerations enumerated in Section 122 of the M39 must be given due deference is a binding requirement on management. Once the Union has established a prima facie case, and we'll talk about that in a second one of these arbitrations, Okay. That management has not complied with the M39, it is the burden of management going forward to prove that it has complied. And what is a prima facie case? When it says, once the union has established a prima facie case, that means that in a contract case, that burden's on us initially. We carry the burden on a contract case. If we get in there and we show the arbitrator, okay, I see your position, you know, what you're saying sounds contractually right. You've made a prima facie case. If you, were to, if you were to look up prima facie, and we deal with this in arbitration, a prima facie case is based on the first impression, is all that means. It's based on the first impression given to the arbitrator. It's accepted as correct until management proves otherwise. All right? So we come in there. We give him a prima facie case. He accepts that as fact until management somehow can prove us wrong. And that's a prima facie case, okay? Again, it says, once the union has established a prima facie case that management has not complied with the M39, it is a burden of management going forward to prove that it has complied. And we always talk about the pendulum in arbitration. It's going to start out on my side initially on a contract case, and I'm going to swing that pendulum over to management. And it's going to keep going until we finish. And what's going to happen in this case in these start time changes is that pendulum is going to swing from us to management and it will not return. They will keep that pendulum over there. They will not be able to pull, move that pendulum back to our side or to swing that pendulum back to our side. They're not going to be able to do it. Contentions. The union has established a prima facie case that 80% of the case will mail is at the carrier cases at the current start time and you cite evidence and that prior to the change in start time management failed to properly consider the criteria of section 122 of the M 39 and what evidence can we cite we're going to put in a, a request for information and it's got all of these things on there one of the main forms of evidence we can have is a carrier statement and I I've got a site where an arbitrator talks about that about the weight that a carrier statement provides She says it's basically hearsay, but she does give it weight, and I'm going to show you how she breaks it down. But a carrier's statement is is deadly in arbitration, especially if they come in and testify. If I have 30 statements from carriers saying, you know, when we get to when we get to our route, you know, almost all my mail's there. The only mail that I get is what little I get from the throwback case or the hot case, or you know, anything like that. What little mail I do get is after that, and so we definitely have at least 80% of our mail at the case when we get there in the morning at 7. You know, there is no more mail that we get other than a few pieces that they're throwing when we get there, and those statements are deadly, okay? Number two, once the union establishes its prima facie case, the burden shifted to management to prove that it complied with section 122 of the M39. Number three, the agency has failed to demonstrate that 80% of caseable mail is not at the carriers' cases at the current start time. And that's a deadly burden for management. Four, the agency has failed to prove that it gave due deference to the requirements, cite which ones, listed in Section 122 of the N39 prior to making the schedule change. And that will always be the 80%. It will always be that that the 80% that it's talking about remedy block 19 management will cease and assist violations of article 5 and 19 management will cease and assist violations of handbook m39 section 122 management will pay the appropriate out of schedule pay and or overtime pay the original start times for city carriers will be reinstated any other remedy seen fit by an arbitrator and then you have your, it'll have a request for information in there for you. So new stewards, older stewards, uh, it's very easy. Get your request for information off of there so you don't have to worry about, shit, why do I even request? It's got it right there for you, okay? Uh, it'll have it on there and it says one copy of notification of change start times. And you'll pull that off the time clock wherever they have it, make a copy, and you can put it back up there just in case they don't give it to you. Unit volume feedback reports. Enter a time frame when you want it. Distribution clerks employ everything report. Enter the same time frame for when you want it. City carriers employ everything report from enter the same time frame. Truck schedule, contract for the last enter however many years. Clerk carrier schedule from enter the time frame there. Okay. And then it's got you a request for steward time. It says individuals the union needs to interview. All city carriers, all distribution clerks, the management representative that made the decision to change the start time, any management personnel who were consulted regarding start times, and the truck contract driver. And stewards, don't be scared to do that. Okay? It's a very big grievance for us right here because management's trying to crunch our time to me. So when it says the management representative made the decision to change the start time, get them on the record as to why they did it. Okay. Get them on the record as to why they changed the start time. That's the most critical one. And then we're going to get us a bunch of statements. You'll get, talk to the truck driver if you want to, but I've got some sites here I'm going to read from. It's four sites and then I'll be done. Hopefully I didn't lose y'all by, by venting about the love affair. (laughs) Hopefully I didn't lose y'all there. But, uh, you know, I get things during the week that I just don't understand as a union why we why we don't represent like we should. And so I, I just feel like I got to vent to y'all. So forgive me for that. But, you know, I am the NLC. You know, I am the NLC when I'm when I'm shop steward, when I'm outside of Formal-A, when I'm an advocate. I am the NLC. And so it bothers me. When, when I see us letting people down, it does. All right. My first one is from uh, Kathy Eisenminger. This is back in 2011. And this is C number 29717. 29717. Get your pen and paper. And Jeremy's going to have these up, like I said, on from 8 So it's 29717. All right. And this, the grievance is sustained. The Postal Service violated Articles 19 of the National Agreement and specifically Section 122 of the M39 Handbook when management of the Fort Collins installation changed the letter carrier start time from 8:30 to 9, effective April 16. And this is what she states. And, and the reason this is good is it has all of the provisions that you're going to need up front. It's got the M39 excerpts, uh, statement of facts. And I'm just going to read all this. It's, it's lengthy, but it'll give you, it'll put you in the mindset of management, and it'll also help us in defeating some arguments, okay? It says, immediately prior to the change in start time, Postmaster Adam Cena sent a letter to Daniel Fake, the local branch 849 NALC president, dated April 11th, 2011, to advise the union that the Fort Collins installation would change the reporting time from 8.30 to 9 a.m., The start time change applied to the seated letter carriers at both the main post office and the Old Town station. On April 12th, management conducted stand-up meetings to advise the carriers at both stations of the change. Union filed an informal Step A on April 29th to contest the change in carrier start time. Postmaster Sino testified that prior to October 2009, the Fort Collins installation processed its own mail. He added, however, that due to deteriorating economic reasons, the Postal Service centralized mail processing in October 2009 by having the General Mail Facility Processing and Distribution Center in Denver, Colorado, process Ford Collins mail. The Postal Service contracted with private trucking companies to transport the mail from Denver to Fort Collins for the latter installation's personnel to complete the casing of the mail. Postmaster Sena stated that once the Fort Collins installation lost their mail processing machines, it left the installation dependent on the trucks coming from Denver. When asked why the truck schedules were not changed, instead of changing the start time for the carriers, Postmaster Sena testified that he is held at the mercy of the Denver GMF. He stated that initially the trucks were to leave Denver at 6.30 a.m., but they were unable to do so because the Denver GMF was not yet finished with the mail at the time. If you're ever there, add that the truck's arrival time has been re- renegotiated between the Postal Service and the trucking, trucking company from 7.40 a.m. arrival time to 8.10 a.m. arrival, and the trucks are given 10 minutes window without incurring a monetary penalty. The record contains a matrix created by Supervisor Nick Goodwin showing the truck arrivals times to the Fort Collins installation at the MPU and the OTS separately. A review of the summary of the information reveals that the last truck is scheduled to arrive at 7.40 a.m., but during the period of 11 days from March 19th to March 31st, the average arrival time was 8.34 a.m., and the truck was late, an average of 54 minutes. For the OTS, the last truck is scheduled to arrive at 8.10 a.m. However, the average arrival time of the OTS for the 10-day period of March 28th through April 9th was 9.710 a.m., and the truck was late on average of 67 minutes. The document also shows that there was an average of 69% of caseable mail at 8.30 a.m. at the input during the survey period and an average of 65% of caseable mail at 8.30 at the OTS. The document compiled from information gathered by Supervisor Goodwin during the survey period shows there were no times where the carriers at either location had at least 80% of caseable mail at 8.30 a.m. Okay, so management's coming there with a very good argument. Hey, look, we used to do our own mail handling. Now it's sent down to the GMF. They have new truck uh, contractors that we work with. Uh, You know, we're at their mercy. A lot of times they're late. The mail's late. They only have 69% of caseable mail at the case, even at 830. And so, you know, they're making very compelling arguments right there, wouldn't you think? They're even showing data. They're showing matrixes showing that there's only 69%, so they're trying to beat our 80%, so they're making a very good case here. Prior to changing the start time for the Fort Collins letter carriers on April 16th, management had changed the start time for the carrier complement at both stations on a few occasions. Originally, before July 16th of 2008, the carrier start time at both the MPO and the OTS was 7.30. On July 16th, 2008, management changed the start time for the carriers at both facilities to 7.45. Sometime in March 2009, management changed the carrier's start time at both facilities to 8 a.m. Then sometime in November 2009, management changed the start time at both facilities for the carriers to 8.15 a.m. Within a few months later, in February 2010, management changed the start time for the carriers at both the MPO and the OTS to 8.30 a.m. On June 5, 2010, management changed the start time for the carriers working for the MPO to 9 o'clock but retained an 8.30 a.m. start time for the carriers at the OTS. On September 4th of 2010, the union initiated a Step A grievance complaining about the change in start time. The grievance was denied and the union pursued the grievance to the Step B on September 24th. The Step B team resolved the aggrieved issue that the Postal Service violated Article 19 of the national agreement when they changed the starting times from 8.30 a.m. to 9 a.m. for city carriers. The Step B team ordered that upon receipt of its decision of the management at Fort Collins, management would notify the carriers that the original start time of 8.30 a.m. would be reinstated. It goes over the B team decision. It says documentation submitted with the merits of the instant grievous includes computerized printouts of truck schedules from two different trucking companies contracted by the Postal Service to move mail. Generally, the documents show the truck's departure time from the Denver Priority Facility Denver, Colorado, and then the Denver Processing and Distribution Center. The documents bear two different effective dates, July 12th and July 24th. And then she goes over the start times, and then the union gets a statement from the APWU. And this is what it states. According to our doc clerk, Debbie Dixon, the final truck that arrives in Fort Collins each day with mail for distribution is scheduled to arrive at 740 a.m. That truck is the DPS truck, which contains all the delivery point sequence mail and very little manual mail. So in reality, the vast majority of mail to be distributed to the carriers is available before 7 a.m. with a final bit scheduled to be available at 7.40 a.m. So that's a very good statement from the APW, and I'll tell you her decision, but I wanted to tell you that because it shows that magic came in there uh, with some truck schedules, with some matrices, showing that mail's not available at that time. It's only 69 percent, so they gave us some hurdles, right? And here's her decision, analysis, and discussion. The union objects to the change in start time effective April 16, 2011, claiming that there was no operational purpose for the change. The Postal Service defends its actions on the basis that less than 80 percent of the carrier's caseable mail was not available at the start time of 8:30 thus contending that management properly moved the start time to 9 a.m. Management also relied on the allegedly late but consistent arrival of the mail delivery trucks from Denver PNDC GMF to the Fort Collins installation as the reason for the unavailability of mail for the carriers at 8.30, and that the delay resulted in unproductive time spent by the carriers until the mail arrived after the 8.30 a.m. The Postal Service relied upon Section 122.11b of the M39 Handbook, wherein the regulation instructs management to fix schedules to coincide with the receipt and dispatch of mail. The regulation requires, among other factors, that the carrier's schedule be set to that at least 80% of the carrier's daily mail to be cased beyond or at their cases when they report for work. In the previous grievance filed over the identical issue, stands the Old Town Station, the DRT set forth a mutually agreed-upon proviso should management determine, subsequent to the October 2-2010, that changes to the scheduled reporting times are necessary, stating such changes will be based upon legitimate operational needs and exercised in accordance with the provisions of the National Agreement and applicable handbooks and manuals. Generally, the Union bears the burden of proof to show by credible and reliable evidence that the National Agreement has been violated. However, in this instant case, the aggrieved action rests entirely upon evidence compiled by the Postal Service where much of that information cannot be verified as to the relevant and material circumstances. Another factor that sets this grievance apart from the traditional union contract grievance is that the party's mutually designated Step B team issued Fort Collins Management a cease and desist order and instructed management that any future start time changes should be determined on the basis of Legitimate operational needs in accordance with the provisions of the national agreement and applicable handbooks and manuals. In this regard, the Step B team placed the onus primarily on management to show proof of the legitimate operational needs for changing the carrier's start time if done so in the future. She goes on. I find that Supervisor Goodwin conducted a thought for survey of the situation as directed by Postmaster Sena and that Supervisor Goodwin attempted in good faith to perform a thorough compilation of data. Unfortunately, the compilation of evidence simply fails to sufficiently meet verifiable support and thus justifiable to change all of the carrier's start time from 8.30 a.m. to 9 a.m. Those deficiencies are discussed below. Inasmuch as the Postal Service relied upon the assertion that less than 80% of the case mail was available to the carriers at their 8.30 a.m. start time and attributed that lateness to the arrival of the trucks traveling from Denver, the Postal Service had the obligation to show how much actual caseable mail was available to the carriers as of at least 8.30 a.m., the actual and separate arrival times of the trucks from Denver to the Fort Collins MPO and the OTS, and the actual quantity of caseable mail delivered at those times. Supervisor Goodwin's mail volume worksheets show handwritten notations purportedly meant to record the delivery of mail from the trucks from Denver. The difficulty with this information is that there exists recordable information maintained in a database for the truck's departure and arrivals at all of its stops on its route for each day. That information is lacking in the record. Moreover, the truck delivery reports in the record shows evening or very early morning arrival times at Fort Collins suggesting that at least on some occasions, Fort Collins received mail that would have been available first thing in the morning when the carriers reported for work. It is also incongruent that the trucks from Denver arrive first at the MPO and then make the next stop, usually at the OTS. This would lead to the conclusion that the majority of waiting time would occur at the Old Town Station, but a review of the documents in the file do not reflect that presumption. The Denver trucks routing raises the issue for placing the most northern arrival point of Fort Collins as the last on the route as opposed to reversing the routine to have the truck drop off mail first at Fort Collins and then backtrack to the other cities on the way to their home base in Denver. (laughs) The later routing could enable the trucks to deliver mail to Fort Collins at least an hour earlier. The Postal Service relied on their proffer that the carrier spent 527 minutes in waiting time code 354, during the period of March 19th, 2011 through April 9 2011, because the insufficient availability of mail, less than 80%, at or on their cases when the carriers arrived at work. Indeed, the TAC reports in the record established there was waiting time incurred during the survey period. However, it appears that the circumstances pertaining to the waiting time was not analyzed. The TAC reports do not indicate what time of the day the waiting time occurred. The report does, however, reflect that names of the individual carriers who experienced code 354 time and the day date of the week on which the waiting time happened. One extreme example happened on Saturday, April 9th, when 28 carriers experienced waiting time for a total of 35 plus hours, where the carriers incurred a range of waiting time with one carrier having the least amount of waiting time at .80 hours, whereas another carrier having the maximum amount of waiting time at 2.29 hours. However, one of the input carriers is shown to have been waiting time on numerous previous occasions, six total, and for large, over an hour amount of time. That sounds like management was doing some falsification on me, doesn't it, you? Only a few of the carriers at the OTS had experienced waiting time during the survey period April 9th. She goes on. A review of the tax report also saw that another, other than April 19th workday, the waiting time is limited to individuals and is not incurred by the entire large majority of the carrier complement at the Fort Collins installation. She goes on, the union's prima facie case involved presenting anecdotal accounts from the union witnesses and written statements from seven carriers and one clerk, APW president, to show that caseable mail was available to the carriers at 8.30 a.m. Generally, such anecdotal evidence, some of which consists clearly as hearsay, lacks probative value to offset contrary evidence, particularly documentary evidence created in the normal course of the employer's business. The overall emphasis of the statements, however, gives probative value to the inform- information imparted. For example, neither President Fake nor Stuart Hoffman's names are on any TAC report showing either person at time recorded under 354. Therefore, the TAC reports corroborated their testimony that they did not experience waiting time for lack of caseable mail. Additionally, only two of the seven carriers who submitted statements incurred Code 354 time, and one individual experienced waiting time only once during the survey period. Therefore, the anecdotal evidence tends to support the union's claim that the reasons given for changing the start times was not shown to be for legitimate and justifiable operational reason. And so she sustained the grants. I know that was a lot of reading, but it shows you managements went through great lengths to show that they're justified in changing the start times, truck schedules, tax reports, waiting time. There's not 80 percent of the mail at the case. So they, they put the full gamut on. We had a few statements. She dissected those clock rings showing that the waiting time kind of was, it looked like there's a little something fishy going on there had a statement from APW saying that, hey, the last truck they're talking about has got DPS mail. That, we don't, they don't encase that. So that's a good site if you get that and read it, because it's going to give you a lot of arguments that management makes. And she shot every one of them down, right? And it talked about the importance of writing statements. And that's what I was talking about earlier. Always get statements. Because those look very good in arbitration. She talked about the hearsay Part of statements, but if they all coincide with what you're saying and they all corroborate what you're saying, uh, that's what she held on to. Here's another one from Carlton Snow. Now, this was not when he was a national arbitrator, but he was on the regular arbitration panel. And this is C number 23986, 23986. And I hate doing all this reading to y'all, but it's a very important grievance. And here's his statement of facts, and here's another avenue management took on us, okay? In the case, the union challenged the decision of the employer to change the start time of employees. On on December 29th of 2001, the employer changed the start time of letter carriers from 8.15 to 8.40 a.m. Management explained to employees that the time change needed to be made in an effort to increase productivity. So here's a new one. In a memorandum to letter carriers, the employer stated that the case feet per hour case feet per hour was then 2.9 but that it should be 3.6 feet per hour the case feet per hour is the total caseable mail divided by the minutes used to case the mail the employer also cited other productivity goals of reducing sick leave and overtime as a justification for the operational change of the start time the union challenged the decision of the employer to make the time change and cited Section 122.11B of the M39 Handbook. Section 122.11B requires the employer to set work schedules to coincide with their seat and dispatch of mail. The M39 Handbook states that at least 80% of the carrier's daily mail to be cased should be on or at the cases when they report to work, and that's 99% of the time. That's what arbitrator is going to hang on to, is that 80% of the case will mail being at or on the case, okay? He goes on that they had an informally meeting. When asked how management determines that 80% of the mail is at the carrier's case, Mr. Stevens stated that we count the mail every day. Mr. Stevens also stated, however, that he did not know the volume of mail for three routes at the center of the conflict. What Mr. Stevens knew was that if the trucks were on time, 80% of the case may be at the carrier's case in a timely fashion. In a 20-day period from December 27th through January 16th, 2002, the 6 a.m. truck was late on average of 10 minutes on 13 of the 20 days. For the same time period, the 8 a.m. truck was late on average 21 minutes, of so 15 days. So they used that in that last one, in Remember? talking about how many times the truck was late during a set period of time. Be regular for that argument, okay? According to the shop steward Farley, the employer never established when the mail was received at the carrier's cases prior to the allegedly improper time change. Mr. Farley also testified that prior to the emergence of the grievance, letter carriers never had to wait for the mail, nor did he have knowledge of anyone else who had to wait. When the parties were unable to resolve their differences, the matter proceeded to arbitration. And it's got the position of the union. It's got the employers. And I'll read a little bit of the employers, okay? Uh, The employer argues that it is completely within management's right to alter the start time based on the management's rights provisions of the national agreement. They're talking about Article 3, so be ready for that. According to the employer, management changed the start time, in this case, to increase productivity. Hmm. It is position of the employer that the change in start time was due to low mail volume, dispatch trucks arriving late, and poor mail flow. The employer asserts that managers made employees aware of these problems and changed the start time in an effort to overcome the productivity deficiencies. The employer points out that the time change was pushed forward by 25 minutes and they made out-of-schedule premium pay inaccessible to employees although only a 25-minute change it allegedly had a significant impact on the efficiency of the operation and according to the employer produces better productivity since it is not necessary for the carrier to wait for dps volume or to go to streets and return when dps is available because of a late truck throwing everything at us in view of the position of the positive impact on the efficiency of the operation the employer concludes that the change start time did not violate the agreement of the parties and that, therefore, the employer must prevail in this case. So they hit us with a lot of stuff right there. Truck schedules, mail volume not accessible, not having to come back to get DPS, and the productivity has gone up since uh, time change. So they hit us with some pretty substantial stuff, right? Here's the arbitrator's opinion. The union objected in this case when on November 29, 2001, the employer unilaterally changed the start time of employees from 8.15 to 8.40 a.m. It is undisputable that the employer has a right to determine the method, means, and personnel by which operations are to be conducted and also to make reasonable decisions that maintain the efficiency of the operation. Managerial control of work schedules, however, is not totally unfettered or without limitations. The M-39 handbook specifies that schedules must be fixed to coincide with receipt and dispatch of mail. Section 122.11b of the M-39 handbook states, Consider the following factors in establishing schedules. B. Fix schedules to coincide with receipt and dispatch of mail, and he has underlined, At least 80% of the carrier's daily mail to be cased should be on or at their cases when they report for work. The instruction is not a suggestion, but is stated as an imperative. The handbook, which pursuant to Article 19 of the labor contract has been incorporated in the party's collective bargaining agreement, eliminates a manager's unfettered control over start times. Start times remain within management control, but must be exercised after giving due deference to the M39 handbook. The employer responded to the union's case by asserting that management made a change in the start time to increase productivity and and efficiency an arbitrator is obliged to follow contractual procedures as is a manager and the party's agreement expressly states that a factor a manager must consider in establishing the work schedule of the facility is the fact that 80% of the male must be present at the carriers cases when they report to work the arbitrator did not receive proof from management covering this crucial evidentiary link The employer did not establish whether or not 80% of the mail had been delivered to the cases at the original start time prior to management's changing the work schedule. What the employer premised its case on was the fact that 6 a.m. and 8 a.m. trucks were frequently late, and this fact alone allegedly justified changing the start time. Part of the evidence used by management to support its decision failed to be persuasive. Management relied in part on the fact that the 6 a.m. trucks were generally late over a 20-day period from December 27, 2001 to January 16, 2002. But such evidence was far from conclusive in light of the fact that the letter carrier's start time was normally 8.15 a.m. The on-average 15-minute delay of the 6 a.m. truck failed to provide sufficient justification for management's decision. It, however, is relevant that the 8 a.m. trucks were on average approximately 20 minutes late over the same 20-day period and were late 15 of the 20 days. It was reasonable for management to take such a delay into consideration when settling the work schedule, but the time frame considered by management occurred immediately after the holiday season and provided circumstances that logically contributed to the lateness of the trucks. A 20-day test period under certain circumstances failed to provide sufficient evidence of a clear pattern of lateness that justified the change. The point is that the lateness of the 8 a.m. trucks without any other supportive data failed to establish that less than 80% of the mail was at the carrier's cases when they arrived for work. The point is that the union, as the moving party, established a prima facie case that the employer was not complying with the M39 handbook. Once the union made a prima facie case, the burden of going forward with the evidence shifted to the employer to prove that it complied with the party's agreement. The employer elected to present no witnesses at the hearing and offered only a limited explanation to justify the scheduled change, namely to foster productivity. In the absence of evidence, it cannot be concluded that the employer carried its burden of going forward with the evidence. Management did not establish that it complied with the relevant contractual provisions or that gave consideration to the amount of mail actually at the carrier's cases at the start of the shift prior to making the schedule change. So there's another position by management that the arbitrator shoots down, right? That's a very good decision. And and all of them are going to hinge on this B, the 80%, right? Here's C34444. C34444. And this is arbitrator James Collins, and this is the one, when I was talking about the National Labor Relations Act, that was in the remedy. This is the one, C-34444, C-34444. The, the issue is, did uh, management violate Articles 3, 5, and 19 of the National Agreement, including Section 122.1 of the M39 Handbook and the National Labor Relations Act, when they unilaterally changed letter carrier start times on date 24. And that language just comes out of Article 5, right? And so they just added it onto their issue. There's nothing wrong with that. And I'll get to his discussion. I'm not going to read all that stuff because y'all get the gist of it. turns to the merits of this case. Well, management has the management right under Article 3C to adjust hours of work in order to maintain the efficiency of the operations entrusted to it. This right is subject to other provisions of the National Agreement, including Article 5, Prohibition of Unilateral Action. In this case, the evidence in the record clearly shows that management acted unilaterally in changing the start time of the Mystic PO's letter carriers. Such action violated Section 8D of the National Labor Relations Act, as changing the carrier's start time obviously affected the carrier's hours of work and as management was making the change unilaterally. The circumstances here were especially aggravating since mystic carriers had been starting the work at 7.30 a.m. for decades, and the change was to take effect just one week after the carriers were notified of the change by P.M. Clark. Moreover, management offered no compelling reason why they needed to act in such haste. Although the case file contains five months of tax clock rings showing carriers on standby time waiting for mail to be sorted, I credit Stuart Pendola's uncontroverted testimony that standby time varies seasonally and that other seven months of the year would not have shown excessive standby time to this extent. Very good job by the shop, Stuart right there. Among other issues that could have been discussed and negotiated with the Union had management not acted unilaterally, this fact issue could and should have been addressed and resolved prior to any change in the letter carrier start time. Accordingly, I conclude that management violated Articles 3, 5, and 19 of the National Agreement, including Section One of the M39 Handbook and the National Labor Relations Act, when they unilaterally changed letter carrier start times on 8-24-2019. The remedy is that the carrier start times in Mystic Post Office shall be restored to Seven Thirty effective immediately. And on management's position, I'll read that really quickly because it's very brief. Since management contends that they did not violate the national agreement when they changed the start time of the Mystic Connecticut carriers on August 24, 2019, management takes the position that they have the exclusive right under Article 3 to control unnecessary costs, protect the service, and maintain the efficiency of operations. That management identified inefficiencies in the morning operations and corrected them. And that management had a viable business reason to change the letter carrier start time domestic of Post Office from 7.30 a.m. to 8 a.m. In addition, management argues that the union's formally representative violated Article 15.2, talking about certification. So those are management's arguments there as well. They're going to hang on Article 3, right? They have the right. And so that's, uh, that's what we'll defeat. Lastly is Sherry Rose Talmage. It's three 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 five six C three 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 five six. This is Sherry Rose Talmage, and this is the last one. Knock quit reading y'all. <laughs> and I'll read management's position. The union does not carry its burden of proving a contractual violation. The Postal Service has the exclusive right to change the starting time of letter carriers, pursuant to Article Three and Forty One. There you go. Management filed the M39 Section 112 and supported management's move to change the start time from 7.30 a.m. to 8.00 a.m. Manager Spencer testified credibly that he made the decision to change the carrier's start time based on the operational needs of the station, specifically noting that 40% of the mail was not available in the carrier's report at 7.30 a.m. So they're saying we didn't have 40%. And he had to ensure that the carriers had enough mail to case Manager Spencer testified that he did not consider letter carrier performance when deciding to change the start time. He noted that it was unreasonable to ask the carriers to perform their jobs without giving them the mail to do so. Spencer testified that he also considered that staggering start times would help the congestion in the parking lot. As the Formula designee, Spencer provided the distribution uptime report for the period September 28th through November 6th to 2017 which showed that 40% of the time the mail was delivered late to the carriers. Therefore, there was no evidence that the postmaster sought the change in start time to punish the letter carriers. The postmaster testified that he had a conversation with Manager Spencer about office performance, and his suggestion was to change the reporting time with which the postmaster agreed. M39 Section 112 discusses management's obligation to run an efficient operation. The manager would be in violation of Section 112 if he did not make the change and continued to allow the carriers to report to work early when the mail was not available. The uptime report reflected the 40% of the mail is not in on time. The service urged the denial of this grievance. Management did the right thing to change the start time of letter carriers to increase the efficiency of the operation. The service argued that if the grievance is sustained, the carriers should not be awarded $100 per carrier. And here's our discussion. That issue is whether management violated Articles 3, 5, 15, and 19 by way of the M39, Section 122, and Section 242, 332, when they implemented a policy to change the start times based on performance issues using unilateral criteria. The union has met its burden of proof that management violated the national agreement. The union argued that on September 5, 2017, the employer unilaterally changed the start time of the carriers and the 02904 unit from 7:30 a.m. to 8 a.m., based solely on office performance issues and not based on operational needs and the criteria established under the M39 handbook, section 12211. The union also maintained that the change in start times violated the 2013 pre-arbitration agreement. Article three of the national agreement provides that management has the right to determine the methods, means, and personnel. By which operations to be conducted and to make reasonable decisions that maintain the efficiency of the operation, management has control of work schedules, including start times. However, deference must be given to the M39 handbook. The M39 handbook, which, pursuant to Article 19, has been incorporated in the Parson National Agreement, specifies that schedules must be fixed to coincide with the receipt and dispatch of mail and to make a permanent schedule change when it, appear, it is apparent that one or more day's mail volume varies to where it is causing late leaving. Section 122.11, B, and F of the M39 Handbook states, Consider the following factors in establishing schedules. Fixed schedules to coincide with receipt and dispatch of mail. At least 80% of the carrier's daily mail to be cased should be on or at their cases when they report for work. And that's what they all hang on, I'm telling you, that 80%. Now, let's see how she gets around it because management said we only had 40%, right? Let's see how she gets around that here. F, make a permanent schedule change when it is apparent that one or more days mail volume varies to where it is causing late leaving. Arbitrator Snow has noted that the instruction that at least 80% of the carrier's daily mail is to be cased should be on or at their cases when they report for work is not a suggestion but is stated as an imperative, and you've heard that a lot now. You heard it in the template, Arbitrator Snow's decision I read to you. Snow concluded that start times remain within management's control but must be exercised after giving due deference to the M39 handbook. The union asserted that only issue raised by management prior to the change in start times was that certain carriers were not performing to the postmaster's expectations which is not among the factors listed in Section 122.11b for establishing schedules. Y'all hear that? I'm going to read that again because that's that's going to be critical for some of your grievances dealing with this. The union asserted that the only issue raised by management prior to the change in start times was that certain carriers were not performing to the postmaster's expectations. And 90% of the ones that you're dealing with will be management coming out and saying, hey, if these carriers don't get out of the office, they're going to make us change the start time. How many times have y'all heard that when dealing with a start time change? Hey, Corey, man, if these carriers don't start getting out of the office, they're going to, they're going to move our start times up. They, these carriers have got to get out of the office, man. Our performance is terrible. These carriers, they've got to hit the street. Our management is going to make me change these start times. Y'all ever heard that? Are they doing that? I'm going to read that again. <laughs> The union asserted that the only issue raised by management prior to the change in start times was that certain carriers were not performing to the postmaster's expectations. Here's what she says, which is not among the factors listed in Section 122.11b for establishing schedules. So she said, hey, that's a personal problem. Y'all need to be dealing with that how you need to do it. You need to do efficiency counts or whatever. But, But that is not one of the factors listed in Section 122. In support of its position, the union pointed to the August 2, 2017 meeting, at which time Postmaster Pauline informed the union that the overall carrier performance in the 2904 was not performing to its expectations and that if the carriers did not show improvement, he would change the station's start times from 7.30 a.m. to 8 a.m. That's exactly what I just said. You hear it all the time. Man, if they don't start getting out of here, if they don't improve their performance, if they don't start getting more efficient, I'm going to have to move these start times. And that's what he said. As a follow-up to the August 2nd meeting, Carrier Campbell testified that Supervisor Bonilla and McKeon, separately, had spoken to him about whether he had talked to the carriers that the postmaster indicated were not performing to expectations. To further emphasize the point, Postmaster Pauline sent the August 21, 2017 letter to President Armada, which stated in part, On a side note, I reviewed the performance of the 02904 carriers instead of getting better. In the last meeting, they blamed her and she was not part of last week's supervisory staff. Therefore, 02904 will go to 8 a.m. reporting time, effective August 26. Moreover, at the informal meeting, Supervisor Thompson stated that the change in start times was the postmaster's deal and did not offer any further reasons for the change in start times. Management asserted that the change in start time was made to increase productivity and efficiency and was not based on carrier performance. Have you all heard that one already through all these arbitration sites? We just did it to increase productivity and efficiency. That's what all of them are saying, Right. A factor that manager must consider when establishing the work schedule is that 80% of the mail must be present at the carrier's cases when they report to work. The employer did not establish whether 80% of the mail had been delivered to cases at the original start time prior to management's changing the work schedule. Again, they're putting that burden on management. Management changed the start time. They're making management support that burden. You change the start time, show me where 80% of the mail is not at the case. Even in some of these, you have arbitrators saying it doesn't matter. (laughs) So get these decisions and read them. They're going to educate you more than anything else that educates you, is reading these decisions. Postmaster Pauline testified that Manager Spencer had made the decision to change the start time, a decision with which the postmaster agreed. Spencer testified that based on the profile of the mail to the installation, To ensure the efficiency of the letter carriers, they needed to ensure that the carriers would have enough mail to case when they reported to work. He noted that they had a significant shift in the caseable volume, including an increase in the Amazon volume in the summer of 2017, and as a result, the mail was arriving later than 7.30 a.m. carrier start time. Part of the evidence used by management to support its decision failed to be persuasive. At the Formal-A, Spencer provided a distribution uptime report for the period September 28, November 6, 2017, which he testified indicated that 40% of the mail was delivered late to the carriers. Here's how she beats it. However, this documentation, which covered a period after the September 5th change in start time had taken effect, did not establish whether 80% of the mail had been delivered to the carriers' cases at the original start time. Although it would have been reasonable for management to take into consideration an increase in caseable mail arriving later than the carrier's 7.30 original start time when setting the work schedule, but without sufficient supporting data, management failed to establish that less than 80% of the mail was at the carrier's cases when they arrived for work or that it was apparent that one or more days' mail volume varied to where it was caused late leaving. Instead, the union presented evidence that the significant factor considered by the postmaster when deciding to change the start time was based on individual carriers not meeting performance expectations, which is not one of the enumerated factors to be considered under the M-39 Section one twelve eleven. Therefore, the union established a prima facie case, y'all heard that before, that management did not comply with the M-39 handbook, Any change in the start time must be implemented in compliance with the factors in section 122.11 of the M39 handbook. For the remedy management shall reinstate the original start time of 7.30 a.m. for the carriers and the 2904 unit. And she didn't give us the $100. So there's four sites that I read to you (laughs) begrudgingly. (laughs) I hate reading like that. That's boring as shit, but... Those are uh, those are good decisions to read to get management's arguments off of there. It'll give you a great issue. Of course, the template will get a great issue. Uh, it'll give you all of management positions. More than likely, they'll always be the same. How arbitrators consider it, how arbitrators feel, they put a lot of onus on that 122.11, about the 80%, right? They put a lot of priority on that, Um Management came in with truck schedules, came in with data, matrices, all these things. Arbitrators still talk about the 80%. So if management is changing your start times, there's a very long episode right there on, on grieving that and beating that. We need to grieve everything, okay? We need to be grieving it all. Um, next week, I've got a, an arbitration. I've got to go out of town. Uh, I might do a PM office work. Uh, got a lot of questions about that. It'll be very brief. But PM office duties, uh, the five minute PM office time management always talks about. We'll address that. May do that. I know that Mr. Caref talked about. Uh, I'm going to get on this um, thing where I can have him on remotely and do that. May have somebody else on. You never know who I'm going to have on here. Right? <laughs> But, um, from eight y'all get on there. Also on discord. Uh, there's a discord up. I've not done any of these things. I got people helping me with these things. Cause I have no idea what's going on. Um, YouTube on that. It's not quite ready. Jeremy's doing that with somebody else. They're putting those up there for me. Um, make sure you're visiting from aid arbitration, the Facebook page. Lindsay's doing a fantastic job there. Besides that, there's an episode on changing start times, right? Uh, got off a little bit at the beginning. I didn't mean to do that, but um, I just had some things come in. Uh, talking about that, that passionate love affair for the City Letter Carrier. Uh, man, NALC, we have to have that. We've got to have that. If we're going to represent our people, if we're going to be successful, at what we want to do as a union, we've got to do that. Uh, the new leadership coming in, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I promised them that. And that's what I'm going to do. Because that's if I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. That's just how I am. So we'll see. I'm hoping and praying that i uh, got some bold new leadership coming in here. That's what I'm hoping. And we'll see. All right. But there you have it. Change of start times. Y'all have a fantastic rest of the week. Uh, Y'all keep sending me stuff. We're dealing with a lot of things. A lot of good wins coming in. Got some fantastic arbitration decisions coming in. May go over those next week as well. Some beautiful decisions that y'all have coming in. Send them to me. Some great resolutions that you have sending to me. Y'all doing fantastic work, man. Fantastic work. Knowledge is power. That's what this is all about. I want everybody to be warriors on that workroom floor. Everybody, Right. And I want everybody above us to be warriors. And we'll succeed at this thing, right? We'll succeed. So y'all have a fantastic rest of the week. And I'll talk to y'all next Sunday. All right, bye-bye.